You know, church, that really is the question. How do we prevent from becoming a museum and stepping away from experiencing the movement? And really, before we can answer that, we really have to understand why that question really even matters. Because the, the process of, of understanding the, 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 the move from a movement to a museum is critical. You see, a movement, a movement is, is in action. A movement is in motion. A movement is what people want to join to be a part of so that they can be a part of the, the stories that have yet to unfold, be a part of the stories that have yet to be told. And there's a, there's a step that happens when, when we're in the movement. You see, when we're in the movement as, as people, when we're in the movement as a church, then there's this overwhelming understanding that it, whatever it is, is God's thing. It's not my thing. My life is not my life. It's God's life. My stuff is not my stuff. It's God's stuff. This church is not my church. It's God's church. And as long as we continue to have that mentality and that mindset of God, this is yours, then it will constantly cause us to come into new situations and new moments asking the question, God, since I know it's yours and you know that it's yours, then I'm asking the question, God, where are you moving? Where are you leading? And how can I follow? But the moment that we begin to make the shift away from believing and understanding that it's God's and not mine, and the moment that we begin to think, no, 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 actually part of this is mine. Part of this is my life. I mean, I work for it. Part of this is my church. I mean, I've been here for a while. You see, when we have that subtle shift, that subtle change in our perspective and our approach, then what happens is, is we begin to take a small step out of the movement that God is ushering and, and flowing and, and, and leading through. And we step out of the movement and we step towards becoming a monument. What is a monument? Well, a monument is static. A monument doesn't move. In fact, the monument is, is what people pass when they're on their way to go do their own thing. Yes, they might stop and, and take a look at it for a moment, but the monument is, is the thing that really kind of stands in the way of everybody else as they are continuing in the movement. And the reality of it is, is that the moment that we take the step out of the movement, the moment that we begin to stop believing that it all belongs to God and he is inviting us and allowing us to be a part of what he's doing in the world, what he's doing right here in Kansas City. And the moment that we begin to think that I have some possession over part of it is the moment we begin to take the step towards the monument. And once we take that step, it's just a matter of time until we come all the way to the museum. You see, what is a museum? The museum is the ancient relic. The museum is the thing that people come to, to hear about what used to be. And I just want to ask the question as we begin this, this series today, as we begin to walk into these, this, this new vision and this new direction that God is calling us to, I'm just curious today, which of those phases describes your relationship with God right now? Do you feel like you're a part of the movement where things are alive and vibrant and um, you feel like you're able to uh, have, have exciting times with God and, and when, you, when you read God's word, you feel like God speaks to you and when you're praying, you feel like God hears you and, and you encounter and you experience the hand of God at work in your life through different phases or do you feel like, like you're just kind of stuck and static and you're, you're looking around and you're seeing other people talking about these exciting things but you kind of feel like you're not really moving or do you feel like you're in, in the phase where... 
It's like, man, the only thing that I can really even tell about God is the stuff that happened way back when. I don't have any new stories. I don't have any fresh stories of how God has used me to impact someone else's life. And if you're here today and you're new with us and maybe you're new to Jesus and you're new to church, you're new to faith, can I just tell you, I'm so glad that you're here because the best time to experience the power of God and the move of God is to be able to take the first step of understanding who God is and how he loves you. Can I tell you, church, where we are, and I alluded to it on the video, where we are right now as a church is, is, is we're at a place that um, is really kind of critical, And Jesus spent some time talking to his disciples about one of the critical elements that we need to remember and that we need to grab a hold of. In Matthew chapter 17, Jesus says this. Um, Jesus doesn't say this. This is how the story goes in Matthew 17 and verse 14. It says, and when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him, saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. And so I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Now, this is really interesting that he says that he brought his son to the disciples and they couldn't cure him because previously Jesus had had sent the disciples out, his followers out on more than one occasion to go and tell people about the power of Jesus. And as they would go out and tell people about Jesus, they would perform miracles. And, and scripture says that they would, they would heal people. And, and at times they would cast demons out of people. And so in this particular situation, it's interesting that this man who has a son who, who's having these seizures, he, he brings his son to the disciples and the disciples are unable, they are ineffective to be able to do anything about the situation. And so Jesus responds to the man in verse 17 and he says, Oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. You see, Jesus is not rebuking the man. He's rebuking his disciples. What has happened with his disciples where they were once capable and able and effective to do these powerful, miraculous, supernatural things of God. But in this moment, in this situation, they're not able to. Have they become overconfident? Perhaps. Perhaps they just got to the point of thinking, well, we've just, you know, <laughs> of course, well, absolutely. Don't mind if I do. Be gone, demon. Or perhaps have they become entitled has the reality of being used by God in such a profound way to impact people's lives in such a practical way become so familiar to them? Have they become so accustomed to it that they've actually become entitled to believing? That's just what Jesus does. And, you know, he always does that. Or is it possible that perhaps they've just taken some things for granted? Maybe they just thought, well, you know, this is kind of how it always works. I show up, I go through the motions, someone brings me their person, I say the thing and the demon leaves and then the next person and then again and again and again and we just go through the motion. We don't really know for sure exactly all of the things that played a part in it, but Jesus is getting ready to reveal to us the thing that is most frustrating to him. Verse 18 Let's watch what Jesus does first. Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the child was cured from this very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, see, the disciples are like, well, uh, you see, what had happened was, is we had done, but it didn't. And then now you did. And how did that happen? And Jesus responds to them. 
Very interestingly, he says, why could we not cast it out? Verse 20. And Jesus said, because of your unbelief. For surely I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you would say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. You see, Jesus is rebuking his disciples for their unbelief. This is problematic though. Why would Jesus chastise his followers for their lack of belief when they had previously been used by God to do the very thing that this man brought his son in hopes that the disciples could do. How is it possible that Jesus could look at his disciples who had done these things over and over and over again and look at them and say, the problem is your unbelief. If I'm one of the disciples, I would have been like, what are you talking about? I mean, I did this and we did that. And in your name, we did these things. What are you talking about? My unbelief. Of course I believe. You see, what Jesus is teaching here and what it reveals to us is a critical truth that we need to understand that if we approach new opportunities with old faith, then we will also be ineffective. You say, what do you mean, pastor? What I mean is, is that every time that God calls us into a new season, every time that God calls us to a new thing, every time that God leads you to something, God's desire is that you approach with new faith. What do I mean by that? I mean that God's not necessarily interested in your old, dusty, crusty faith. The stuff of the, the stories that you can tell about things that happened in yesteryear. What God wants to know when he calls you into a new situation, when he calls you into a new career, when he calls you into a new step of faith, when he calls you to do something in his name, what God wants to know is, yeah, great, congratulations. You had faith for the stuff that I did in the past. That's awesome. What I want to know is, would you be willing to trust me? Would you be willing to trust me now in this situation with this specific thing in the same way that you trusted me in those situations and those things because here's what's not gonna work. You're not gonna be able to bring the faith that you used back then and bring it to this situation and find it effective because it doesn't work that way. What God's desire for us is that we don't have this static or ancient faith. God's desire is that we continue to have a moving, free-flowing faith that steps into every new opportunity, every new thing that God calls us to and say, God, if you did it back then, you can do it now. I'm believing you now for this new thing in the way that I trusted you then because you are the same God, like we sang about today, that got me through that situation and I'm bringing in new faith in the same God in this situation. And what Jesus is teaching here is that he wants us to have new faith for new opportunities. And can I just tell you what God has done in the life of our church is nothing short of a miracle. I could tell you, I told you three stories in the video. I could tell you story after story after story of the things that God has done. And we are sitting in a miracle but I believe that we're at a crossroads. I believe that we as a church, and not just we as a church, but you as a person who's journeying with this church, 
I believe that we're at a crossroads. You see, it's at this point in the life cycle of a church. It's at this point in the life cycle of a lot of believers. We experience some exciting, powerful, profound things. And it's awesome. And there were times where we, 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 we laid it on the, on the line and said, God, I'll trust you with anything. And then God moves and we get to the next thing. God, I'll trust you with anything. And it moves. But what happens is over time, the, the stuff that we have to lose gets bigger. And if you've been with our church for a while, then listen, you know. I mean, we have scratched and clawed to get where we are today. There have been sacrifices made by so many people sitting in this room right now that most of us will never even know. Listen, it is, I don't know if you notice this, if you're relatively new to Discover Church, this is not our building. This is actually a school in case the nine foot tall letters outside the building didn't you know, sign that for you. Northland Christian School, we're in a gym. There's a basketball goal. There's a basketball goal. We got basketball. We're, we're, we're in a school. We're in a gym. And can I tell you, there's no magical chair fairies that just go and then everything just shows up. It doesn't happen. If you check some babies back in and discover kids today, I can promise you there's no magical baby fairies that just go doop and then it's just all there. It, takes, it is a Herculean effort by a whole lot of people for us to just have church on Sunday. And if you are a part of the setup and teardown team, I want to take a moment and thank you. I honor you. Every single person that's here today is able to have an encounter with God because of you. And I'm thankful for you. But listen, it's at this stage of the game where we begin to look around and we go, you know what? It, it, woo. Man, it took us a lot to get here. It's exhausting. For those of you that have been with us, you know, let's go, uh, let's go pre-pandemic. For those of y'all that have been with us since then, y'all know. And it's at this point, it would be really easy for us to look around and go, you know what? We made it. Church, I got news for you. We're, we're no longer wondering as a new church whether or not we're gonna make it. We've made it. We're here by God's grace and by the sacrifice of a whole lot of people and we're not going anywhere. We've made it. It'd be really easy to start looking around and going, man, whew, finally. Oh, whew, it's halftime, y'all. Is this halftime at the end of the game? I don't know. I just call it. Just good. That's it. No more. For a lot of us in our lives personally, we come to moments where we've experienced God do some miraculous, awesome, amazing things. There were times where we had faith to trust God to do some amazing things. And some of us are in a place right now where you feel like you're in the monument phase or maybe even in the museum phase because at some point God called you to do something and you said, I'm good. I've come far enough, Lord. I've done enough. I've done my part. Let somebody else do it. See, here's what I believe. I believe this is true not only for every single follower of Jesus, but I believe it's true for every church as well. The moment 
that we choose to stop being pioneers is the moment we have begun our journey to the end. God always asks us to keep going. God always asks us to continue to trust him. God always asks us to take a next step. And what I'm gonna be laying out to you over these next several weeks, it would be easy to sit and listen to what I'm gonna be sharing over the next six weeks and to sit back and go, oh, that's so nice. I, that's, isn't that so cool that our church is doing that? Oh, that's awesome. You go to lunch with somebody from work and you're talking about, you know, things and they're talking about their church. You go, oh, you know, our church is doing this new thing. It's so cool. It's so fun. You see, it would be easy to sit back and listen to what God's going to be sharing with you over the next six weeks and to think that that's for the church. Can I just tell you something? Everything that God gives to the church is not for the organization of the church. It's for the people who make the church the church. And so what God's gonna be sharing with you and what God's been, been planting in me and cultivating in me and growing in me for the last 15 months to be able to stand and bring to you over these next few weeks is not something that's just for the organization of Discover Church. It is for every individual who calls Discover Church their home. You see, any church that's ever existed has only gone so far as the individuals who call that church their own are willing to take it in obedience to Jesus. And so I come back to the question then, how do we prevent from becoming a museum? Well, I believe that there's two critical elements and the first is this. We need a vision that demands divine intervention. By the way, I should have also told you um, in your guidebook here, if you, all of the type A people have already done this, um, you, you flip through it. In the back, there's a section for you to take notes and such for all of the note-taking people. Again, the type A people have already figured that out. Everybody else, I'm letting you know, all right? Uh, so you can take some notes and guidebook will be helpful with you for a lot of things. But here's the deal. We need a vision that demands divine intervention. We need a vision that that when it's accomplished, we can't look at it and go, yeah, I can explain the strategy behind that. We need a vision that is so large and so bold and so grand that when we get to the end of it, we wouldn't go, oh, well, yeah, that makes sense. I get that. I can rationally compute that if I were to put that into a spreadsheet and do the calculation. Yeah, absolutely. One plus one is two and it makes total rational sense. No, 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 no. We need a vision that demands divine intervention, that is so big, that is so great, that, that if and when we were to choose to take a step in pursuit of the vision that God puts in front of us, that, that we're screwed if God doesn't show up. We need that as a church. We need that as individual followers of Jesus. We need a vision that, that both excites us and freaks us out just a little bit. We need a vision that causes us to come to a point of desperation and saying, God, you've called me to this. <laughs> so here I go, and I feel like I'm about to be Wiley e. Coyote stepping off the cliff, and I'm just trusting that you're going to put something there under my foot so that I can walk to the place you've called me to go. 
Man, I'm so excited because God has given us a vision for these next two years that I believe really will demand divine intervention. It's a vision that feels really impossible. And it's a vision that, that is so near and dear to the heart of God because it is the thing that God has been most concerned about since the beginning of time. You see, the vision that God gives us as a church is never gonna be about the things. It's always gonna be about people. And anything that's necessary in order for us to accomplish the vision is only exist for the purpose of being used as a tool so that we can go find as many people as possible and tell them about Jesus. And God's quantified this vision for us in what we are calling our Never Settle campaign. And the vision of our Never Settle campaign is this, that over the next two years that we would reach 250 new people and engage them in the journey that God is calling them to walk in their life. Now, listen, you might hear that and go, oh yeah, of course, I heard that before. Uh-huh, yep. Preacher man wants more people in the seats so he can feel better about himself. Listen, I'm not gonna lie to you. The days where there are full seats are always better days for me than the days where there's lots of empty seats. But I want you to hear me very clearly. I couldn't care less about how many people are in the room. I care about how many people aren't in the room. And God is always designed and destined for us to go on a journey with him. It's our mission as a church that, that the journey that God has always wanted every single person to go on with him was that they would discover life, discover belonging, discover purpose, and make a difference. And so I'm not just talking about getting 250 more people in the room so we can say, hey, look at that. We got attendance of 250 more people. That's awesome. Couldn't care less. I care about us being able to reach people who have yet to discover life in Christ and for us to tell them about the life that's available in Christ. I care about finding people who are struggling and hurting and sitting in pain and misery and wounds caused and created by sin and telling them about the hope and the healing that comes when you discover belonging in biblical community. I care about coming alongside of people who have, have yet to figure out why they're here and they're in a career and they're in a job or they're at home with their kids and they're looking at their bills and their, their finances and they're looking at all the things and they're asking the question deep down in their soul, why is any of this happening and why am I here? I care about helping people understand that God wants them to discover purpose. And ultimately what I care about is to see people's light bulbs go off when they begin to realize that God still uses crooked sticks to make straight lines and they begin to realize that God can and will use them to go change the world and make a difference. That's what I care about. This is what God is calling us to. And the reality of it is every single person that we are praying for, that I'm praying for, is somebody that is close to you, but far from God. This is what God is calling us to over the next two years. And can I tell you, I can't even begin to fathom the difference that it will make in communities and neighborhoods and homes all across the Northland when people begin to realize that God doesn't hate them, he's not mad at them, he's mad about them. 
when they begin to experience the power of God's love and God's grace and God's forgiveness to set them free from the bondage of addiction and anxiety and depression and and brokenness and bitterness and unforgiveness. And to experience what's possible when they begin to to discover the healing that happens in community and, and begin to discover why they're here and make a difference for God's glory and for the world's good. This is what God is calling us to over the next couple of years. And, and here's the deal. Well, okay, well, well, well that sounds fine, I guess. How, how, how do we do that? I wanna tell you four things that we're gonna do to help us get there. Now, listen, I'm just gonna tell you in the front end, I'm gonna go into a lot more detail over the next coming weeks about these four things because I know as soon as I say it, you're gonna have a lot of questions, okay? Write your questions down on the notes section of your journal. Come back the next couple of weeks, and I bet most of those questions are going to be answered. But I want to share with you the four things that God is calling us to do. Number one, God's calling us to equip every single person to discover church for personal evangelism. Why? Well, I already told you why. Because the people that God wants to reach are the people that are close to you, but far from God. And I believe what God is asking us to do is to begin praying about that person now. Let me ask you this question. You probably have already thought of at least one person that's close to you, but far from God, that if they were to come to faith in Christ and discover life in him and discover belonging and purpose and making a difference, and you saw their life radically changed and transformed, let me just ask this question. How would that impact your life? How would that impact their home, their family? This is why God's leading us to a call to preparation and equipping for personal evangelism. Here's the second thing that we're gonna do. We're going to help address the problem of homelessness in our community by partnering with the Turning Point Ministries to build out more long or short-term immediate housing for women and families in our community. We're in conversations with them now. I'm gonna give you a lot more details in the next couple of weeks about what that's gonna look like, but that's the second thing God's calling us to do. Here's the third thing God's calling us to do. God's calling us to expand our influence across the community by launching a second campus over the next two years. And the fourth and final thing that God is calling us to do is God's calling us to move from being a church that was once planted and portable to establishing greater credibility amongst our community by becoming a church that's permanent and rooted and no longer portable. These are the four things God's calling us to do. And you might look at those things, well, that sounds nice. I just wanna be really clear. These aren't the goals. These are the things that are gonna help us get to the goal, which is about people. You go, okay, great. That sounds good. That's a big vision. Vision alone will not prevent us from moving out of the movement into the monument or onto the museum. You see, the second thing that we need is we need the faith of a mustard seed. You see, Jesus taught about this in Matthew 17 when he rebukes his disciples. He said, listen, if you had the faith of a mustard seed, nothing would be impossible for you. Now, listen, in order to understand this, there's some things you need to understand about a mustard seed. I brought you a picture, in case you've never seen a mustard seed, about how big or small a mustard seed is. I had never actually seen a mustard seed before. I just know I like mustard. A hot dog without mustard is not really a hot dog. I don't know what you call it. It's just not a hot dog. This is how big a mustard seed is. And here's what's crazy. In Jesus's day, the mustard seed was one of the smallest 
plantable, and I just made up that word because my Word document put a red underline under it, said, I don't know what that word is. And well, I'm from Arkansas, I make words up all the time. It was the smallest plantable seed, one of the smallest plantable seeds that they had, meaning it's one of the smallest things they had where they could take it, they could plant it into the ground and they could water it and nurture it and take care of it and it would sprout and grow and it would become something. Here's what else is important for us to understand about the mustard seed, that the mustard seed begins like this, but when it's full grown, it looks like this. Those are people standing in front of that tree, by the way, if you can't tell. And so what Jesus is teaching his disciples is, listen, if you had the faith of a mustard seed, one of the smallest plantable seeds that you know, that grows into one of the largest trees in our region, if you had faith like that, then nothing would be impossible for you. And it would be easy to go, okay, great. Gee, I get it. I need to have a little bit of faith. And yes, Jesus is challenging his disciples and he's challenging us to have a little bit of faith, but that's not really the secret behind the mustard seed. The mustard seed story is not about how small it was and how big it grew. The story of the mustard seed is about its persistence. How does something so small grow to something so great? There's a persistence to it. That once it's planted into the ground and it's watered and nurtured, it begins to germinate and break out of its shell and it begins to to grow roots and and it just continues to grow roots down and deep and deep and deep and spread and expand in every direction. It doesn't allow any obstacle or any impediment get in its way. It just keeps going. It never quits. It never settles. And because of its persistence, it goes from something that is so small to something that is so great and so big and so large. And here's what's critical that we understand about this. When Jesus died on the cross, on the third day, he rose again. After he rose from the grave, he spent some time with some of his followers. And scripture records for us at the end of Matthew and at the beginning of Acts, what, what are called as the, the, the instructions, the command, the, the vision that Jesus gave his disciples. And he told them this in Matthew 28. He said, go into all the world, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I've commanded. And lo, I will be with you always to the end of the age. That's a vision that demands divine intervention. He clarified the vision in Acts chapter one and verse eight when he says, go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to all the world and be my witness. That's a vision that demands divine intervention. And when Jesus ascended into heaven, scripture tells us that there was about 120 followers of Jesus. And these 120 followers of Jesus were given a vision that demanded divine intervention, but they also remembered what Jesus taught them in Matthew 17 when he told them, if you would have the faith of a mustard seed, nothing would be impossible for you. So motivated, not only with a vision, but with the teaching of the need to have mustard seed, persistent type of faith, they began the process when Jesus started the church. 
And they began to gather together and they began to unpack and talk about what they knew to be true about who God was and who Jesus was and how he had commanded them to live and to, and to be. And, and they, they, they had fellowship with one another and they, they took care of one another and then they would go out into the community and they would tell people about Jesus. They would tell people about who he was and how he rose from the grave and, and how, he, how he changed their life in all of the best possible ways. And in 50 days from the day that Jesus ascended into heaven to the day of Pentecost, this little ragtag group of 120 people exploded to over 3,000. And this group of 3,000 then went into all of the areas of the world where they were from and they began to tell people about Jesus and historians tell us that when the disciples' generation died away, that all of the world that they knew at the time had heard the name of Jesus. How is that possible? Because they didn't settle for the museum or the monument. They had a vision that demanded divine intervention and they were motivated by a mustard seed type of faith that says, I will never settle. What God began here in August of 2008, 2018, wasn't new. What God began in August of 2018 when we had 75 adults serving, saying, man, I don't know what's happening here, but, but I believe that God's called us to do something crazy. I believe that God's called us to do something that feels impossible. I mean, preacher man said there's gonna be 200 people. I believe it when I see it, but God's given us a vision that makes me feel uncomfortable and I've got just a little bit of faith and I'm willing to put what little bit I have on the line and just let God grow it. Because of that, Discover Church was launched, not as something new, but as a continuation of the movement that Jesus began 2000 years ago a continuation of the movement that has withstood the rise and fall of empires and kingdoms and kings and dictators and people who have sought to murder and annihilate and execute through genocide God's people. They've tried to burn and eradicate God's word, but the movement of Jesus continues to grow even still. And so what Jesus is asking us today, what God is leading us to today is it's, listen, it's not new in the movement of Jesus, but it is a new step for Discover Church. I want to do something real quick. I just, a quick show of hands. We'll have a little bit of fun with this. How many of you came to Discover Church for the first time, um, either leading up to or on the day of our launch Sunday? Just raise your hand. You can look around, look around. All right, man, man. Can I just tell you from the bottom of my heart, thank you. You didn't believe in me. You believed in the vision that God had put in me. And we're here because you were just crazy enough to trust a guy who had never done it before because you believed in a God who's done it a million times. Let me ask this question. How many of you came to Discover Church for the first time sometime after we launched and before the pandemic? That's you, raise your hand, raise your hand, raise your hand, raise your hand. You guys can look around, look around. Man, can I just say thank you? I can't believe that you're still here. 
I can remember those early days. I used to tell Jess this all the time when, and Jess and when I would talk to some of my pastor friends, I said, you know, it's really weird once you launch the church. Like when somebody walks through the doors of your brand new church for the very first time, it's kind of like being at high school, at least as a guy. I don't know what it's like being a girl in high school, but as a guy, listen, I, I moved, I went to three different high schools in three different states, all right? So when I was a dude in high school, Anytime a girl showed any interest of even acknowledging my existence, I was like, that's right. You're welcome. And then I would walk away like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they even know who I am. Thank you, Lord. Oh God, you are good. So good all the time. God is good. Can I just tell you all for, for that second group of people, thank you so much for being a part of this. I can't believe you showed up and I certainly can't believe it blows me away that you stayed with us. Let me ask this question. How many of you came to Discover Church for the first time after the pandemic? Raise your hand. Wow, can you just keep your hands up just for a second? All right, I'm gonna talk to you in in, in just a second, I promise. But for everybody whose hand is down right now, can I tell you, this is why we didn't quit during the pandemic. Because God knew that there were people who needed to get connected to a life-giving church that was willing to lay it all on the line and say, I'm never going to settle so that they can discover life, belong, purpose, or make a difference. And for those of you that raised your hand that last time, can I just say, I'm so glad that you're here. And it doesn't matter when you joined in the journey of what God is doing here at Discover Church. Every single one of us sit in someone else's sacrifice. You do. You are sitting in somebody else's sacrifice. Somebody went before you literally to set the chairs up today so you can have a chair to sit in. Amen. Praise God. Extra jewels in their crown in heaven. By the way, if you're looking for a place to surf, it'd be a great opportunity. <laughs> set up and tear down. They have a great time. I hear they have donuts sometimes. And, uh, you know, it's an awesome opportunity our team was talking about it this morning. Here's what the Setup and Teardown team gets a chance to do. The Setup and Teardown gets a chance to set up a seat that a person will sit in that Jesus died for so that they can know just how much he loves them. The reality is, is every single one of us is sitting in someone else's sacrifice. Even those of you who were here on launch day, we sat in the sacrifice of somebody at another church that believed in the vision of reaching people, that sacrificed their financial resources and their time and their talent and their treasure. I could tell you stories and names of people that been over backwards from the time that we left Abundant Life and Lee Summit to come up here to help this thing get started. We are sitting in someone else's sacrifice. And so here's the deal, church. God is calling us to be willing to have, yet again, a never-settle type of faith. What is that kind of faith? A never-settle kind of faith is the kind of faith that would cause 120 people who watched their leader be brutally murdered 2,000 years ago, saw his body physically resurrected from the grave, heard the vision he gave them, and to believe it and think that God might just use us. And because of that, we are all able to know the name of Jesus today. A never-settle faith is the kind of faith that would cause 75 people 
to join a make-believe church that doesn't exist yet, to help come together to, to help it get started so that a whole bunch of people can come and hear about the good news and the love of Jesus. A never settled kind of faith, Jesus refers to elsewhere as a childlike faith. It's the kind of faith that would cause a child to believe it is possible to fly. That's why I love the imagery we're using in this series. It's what causes a child to sit in their room looking out the window and just wonder, is it possible to fly? And to move beyond the ideation of that idea and to go towards the idea of I'm going to build a jetpack and I'm going to put it all together and I'm going to walk out of my house out into the driveway or out into big grassy area with all of my preparation and I'm going to put my goggles down and I'm going to believe it is possible for me to get off this ground. You see, a never settled kind of faith is the kind of faith that is willing to come to new opportunities and say, God, I hear you speaking. And because I hear you speaking, I am willing to attempt the improbable. I'm willing to pray for the unexplainable. And I'm willing to believe you for the impossible. Because of the never settled faith of people that have gone before us at Discover Church, We've seen over 130 people commit their life to Jesus. I mean, if you're going to do it, do it right, you know? Because of the never settled faith of people who've gone before us, this blows me away. Our little church, our young baby, sometimes a floppy-headed baby that needs to shave, freaky-looking church, You have given away over $270,000 to missions. And here's the deal. God is calling us now to take a new step. Now, listen, I'm not going to shy away from telling you, like, if we did nothing new, if we did nothing different, we just continue on, discover church is normal. Over the next couple of years, I don't know if y'all know this, but stuff takes money, costs money to do things sometimes. By our estimation, we've got about $1.6 million worth of ministry things that we would do if we just, nothing changed and did everything exactly like it is. But God's calling us to take a radical step of faith to attempt four new things for the purpose of seeing 250 people engage in the journey of God. As we've ran the numbers, and you can find more detail about this in your guidebook, we're going to talk a whole lot more about it in the weeks to come. For us to do those extra things, it's going to cost about $1.4 million. So basically, all told, God's putting $3 million worth of ministry to do in front of us. Now listen, I want you to understand something very clearly. I am not the pastor who's going to try to manipulate you to get your money. The reason why is because God doesn't need it. I mean, good grief. He created the universe by just speaking it into existence. He doesn't need our money. I'm not going to talk to you about the financial aspect of all of this over the next few weeks. We're not going to talk about money every week, just letting you know that. I'm just letting you know where we're headed. I'm not talking to you about it because Discover Church needs your money. God birthed this thing out of nothing and brought people along the way to help fund it. God, here's how God always works. God always brings the vision. 
And when his people begin to follow obediently in pursuit of the vision, then God always supplies the provision. That's how God always works. I'm, gonna, I'm sharing the financial component to this because I believe there's something that new that God wants to do in you. Maybe God's calling you a new area of faith. So on March 20th, we're gonna have a commitment Sunday and I'm asking you to do three things between now and then. Number one, be here every Sunday because I'm gonna continue to unpack and unfold and bring clarity and, and hone this thing in so that every single person in our church can know exactly where God is leading us. The second thing I'm asking you to do, I'm asking you to get connected to a small group. They start today. Almost every single small group is gonna spend the first few weeks together talking about what I'm talking about on Sunday morning, not for the purpose of, well, let's talk about how the church can do this. No, 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 no. It, it's about distilling it down and asking the question, God, what, do you, what does this mean for me? And what would it look like for me to never settle? And the third thing I'm asking you to do is pray. Because here's what I believe. I've seen it. I've seen God do the impossible. Listen, when you've seen God do the impossible, you stop worrying about how impossible it feels and you just start wondering, God, how are you gonna do it this time? And I'm also gonna let you know that if you will lean into this, you're gonna find that God's gonna call a lot more than just your treasure on the table. That God wants to take you to a new level. He's not interested just in your treasure. He's interested in your talent. He's interested in your time. Not so that you can tell the story about what some church does. See, that's what happens when you're in the museum stage. God's wanting to shake you loose and bring you into the movement so that you can tell a story of how God used you to change somebody's life. Here's the question that God is asking us today. For the sake of the people who are close to us and far from God, for the sake of the people who've yet to know about the love of Jesus, for the sake of the people who have not experienced the power of God in their lives like you have, here's the question that God is asking, and I'll leave you with this. Would you be willing to take a never settle position in your soul and in your heart so that others can experience Jesus the way that you have? At Discover Church, we exist to see our city changed by Jesus, one life at a time. If you'd like to take your next step of faith today, text the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. Again, that's the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to connect. Reach out to us on social media and let us know that you found us through the Discover Church podcast. Thanks for listening.